Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Kurt Gallagher with DC Dental Society. Welcome, Kurt. Well, well, thanks, Lee. I appreciate you having me on as a guest. Well, before we get too far into things, tell us a little bit about DC Dental Society. How are you serving folks? So DC Dental Society is the state-level affiliate for, of the American Dental Association that operates in our nation's capital. So we represent uh, close to 500 dentists uh, out of the dentist practicing, and we you know represent them from uh, you know, providing ongoing educational programs to advocacy before the, the city council, the mayor, and, and the board of dentistry. And we've really provided a lot of support for uh, our profession throughout COVID, including getting PPE and making sure that the concerns of dentists are, are, are maintained at a high level before the board and the city council. Now, uh, how long have you been leading this group? I'm fairly new. I came on board in December 2019. So what a, what a, a time of change just <laughs> later is when the pandemic started. So going into that, you were like, Oh, this is going to be great. Another association to lead. And then, you know, within what a quarter or so you had a new reality thrust upon you. Exactly. As did the rest of the world. So what was the kind of first move? You were probably still in those early stages of getting to know everybody. And then all of a sudden you got a, a you know, worldwide pandemic on your plate. How did that uh, transition go? It was immediate. You're, you're right. It was, I was still in, in the, the phase where I was learning, getting to know the, the, the organization, the culture, the people. And, you know, we had to quickly pivot to virtual. DC Dental Society has monthly events from September to May. So it's, it's not like a lot of other organizations have a big annual conference, which certainly has risk. A lot of those conf- well, conferences were, were canceled in 2020 unless they are fortunate to have them early in the year. But DC Dental, we had to pivot to these monthly events. And so it was not only was it a logistical change, but it was also a cultural shift because the members are used to coming together, seeing their colleagues every few weeks. And then we had to quickly go to virtual where you know, they saw faces on a Zoom screen for about a year and a half before we finally able, were able to come back together. Now, how did you kind of manage that change? Because that's difficult enough. You know, all of those, all of your members are struggling with their own situation. And then here's a group that they relied on in terms of face-to-face, you know, kind of dealing with each other and making that transition to virtual how do you keep you know providing the value that your members need and then even the value that they're used to in terms of networking and and things like that but now it's some of these things are kind of life or death regarding their practices you're absolutely right lee and 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 we you know really strove to provide a steady stream of communication we had a, a wonderful support from the ADA they uh, the, the American Dental Association was a terrific partner throughout this process they uh, were on top of the government relations at the national level, working with Congress, working with FEMA, working with other federal agencies. Uh, ADA was able to provide uh, key information about all the assistance programs, the PPP loans, the EIDL loans, and which we were then able to share with our members. But the ADA also uh, was a great advocate for securing uh, PPE, the protective equipment for dentists, which at, at that point in, in early to mid 2020 was in short supply 
And there were also a lot of risk from people who knew someone who knew someone who could potentially get PPE that was not legitimate. And so we you know, worked with closely with the ADA in terms of you know, providing that communication and did a lot of listening to members to, uh, to uh, just make sure we were aware of the challenges that our members were facing. Now, when you're in that kind of crisis mode, you're probably the way you envisioned, okay, this is going to be my first hundred days here. Um, they're going to work on the culture. I'm going to work on some of these kind of big issues. And all of a sudden, is that all kind of just pushed to the back burner and you're just, you know, putting out this big fire of, I got to keep my members, you know, in business. Part of the challenge of a crisis is the the crisis easily becomes all encompassing, but at the same time, an organization needs someone to keep the lights on, which is something that might not be appreciated. So those, you know, basic administrative functions are also critical. You need to make sure that these, those, you don't lose sight of them, that they're still managed properly. And fortunately for the DC dental society, we did have staff that helped out with that so that we were able to provide that, that basic level of support and operation to keep the organization going while also providing that support that members needed. You know, for example, I mentioned that, you know, PPP was, was in, with PPE was in short supply. And again, we had some members coming to us who had connections who could potentially get um, sources of, of PPE, but the, the sources were, were, were questionable, whether or not the, the quality was there, whether the products were legitimate. Um, at the same time, the ADA secured a commitment from FEMA to provide PPE to dentists in the 50 states and in D.C. But unfortunately, the D.C. government was providing PPE to healthcare providers, but dentists weren't in the first um, priority list. I mean, we had to actually go to a local TV network that, uh, that helped us raise uh, awareness about this challenge. And a couple of days later, we received confirmation that dentists, too, would be included in that distribution of PPE. Now, when you're working through this crisis like this and you have so many fires and so many, you know, kind of so much noise out there, how do you kind of prioritize, okay, this is a must do, this is the stuff that has to get done, this is a a nice to do and maybe we will back burner this, Um, all while trying to kind of keep your vision of a culture of collaboration and of sharing uh, best practices and knowledge uh, during this time? It involves a lot of collaboration with the leaders of the organization. You know, organizations have to be agile during a crisis and, and staying in close communication with the elected leadership. But there's an acronym that's used in the medical field to assess how to support someone, you know, in a sort of triage, triage mode. It's ABCs. Airway, breathing, circulation. So that sort of tells you what you need to do to keep your patient alive. And I use that as an analogy for how we focused and prioritized within the society as well, making sure we, we you know, address those issues that if, if weren't addressed right away, the patient might not survive and then get into the point where we can then deal with, you know, the, the circulation issues, the, the, you know, the, you know, the ABCs again. So it, it, so it was provided a nice apt analogy for the society. Now, during a crisis like this, to me, this is one of those moments where the value of being a member of an association like DC Dental Society becomes no no longer a, oh, yeah, that's a, a nice thing that I should consider. It becomes a, this is something I have to do because these people are helping me survive during this crisis. How do you 
also educate the folks out there that aren't members? Like, how do you kind of create that member engagement and the prospective member engagement during this time? Because I would think that during a crisis like this, you're giving them, you know, the information, you know, hot off the presses. You're you're helping these people with the stuff they need to be doing without them having to go out and search for it and hope they get reliable information out there on their own. You're right. And again, it's really is that steady communication and, and, and sharing some of the information with the non-members. In some cases, it might be in, in sort of a teaser format. There might be content that's uh, password protected behind some sort of uh, a password firewall, but making sure that uh, we're able to, to highlight to members and to non-members the activity of the organization, um, whether it was Again, advocating for the PPE, providing information on the assistance programs, those PPP loans or the EIDL loans and, and other federal assistance programs, uh, and, and just providing that information, really highlighting the value of the work that the society was doing and that the ADA do, was doing on, be, on our behalf and in coordination with the DC Dental Society. So now, how have you um, have moved forward as as the pandemic hopefully is waning? Um, and now people can meet again face to face. Are you seeing kind of a resurgence uh, among members like, you know, hungry for this kind of engagement? Is it something where uh, attracting new members is easier? Like uh, what's happening now in the growth of the organization? It's still, uh, you know, an, an evolving process. So we've, we've switched over to having hybrid events, which is something we were never able to do before, those monthly events, uh, which has made the organization more accessible to members. Uh, but you know, at the same time, we don't have as many coming in person because there are some participating online. And so it's it's still evolving. You know, in DC, we had a mass mandate until uh, about a month and a half ago. So that was an impact. Um, and you know, I think people are still, uh, to some degree, uneasy. We had the Delta variant, we had the Omicron variant, and, and there may be others in the future that are widespread. Um, but we're, we're seeing the numbers increase in terms of, of, of uh, members coming back, as well as members getting engaged in our events. But again, it's it's a slow going process because the other thing is we we've gotten we, we change culturally, uh, and this this is sort of you know grand scale in a large scale. You know we were sort of withdrew. We got used to working from home. Dentists couldn't do that; they had to go to their practices. But even there, you know, I think that a lot of them. You know, just sort of we're used to sort of getting home, trying to be safe, you know, sort of being almost cocooned for a while um, during this period just to make sure that, uh, you know, especially if someone had younger kids or, you know, old an older family member, someone who might be more susceptible to COVID because of uh, their their age or our health conditions. You know, we, we've all had to be mindful to protect those people in our lives as well. And, and that's you know, certainly applies to dentists because they obviously are people and they have, you know, family members who could be at risk as well. So um, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Have you always been involved in association work? For most of my career, I have. I've, I've worked for a number of associations uh, from a, a wide range of industries. So the food sector and agriculture are, are the types of organizations I worked with early on, the Pet Food Institute. U.S. Apple Export Council, and then I transitioned over to healthcare-oriented organizations. Um, initially, the, some of those were more oriented towards companies and trade associations, but I've also worked for, with a couple of professional societies. 
In addition to the DC Dental Society, uh, I recently was appointed as executive director of the American College of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons, which is an association for uh, oral surgeons nationwide. Now, so what do you think your superpower is that makes you so attractive uh, to lead associations? You know, there's the analogy that we use in the industry that we're herding cats, right? So with, with associations, there's so many different stakeholders and so many different players. Number one, you've got to be a good listener. You've got to actively listen, find a way to build consensus, bring people together, often with different viewpoints, to try to get on the same page. They're, they're members of the association because they want to be part of something. And they want to uh, support efforts that help their profession or their industry. So that in some ways can make it easy. But even with that sort of very high level um, shared goal, there can still be challenges that are required. So really, I think, you know, in terms of building that consensus, that's one of those, but also helping organizations in terms of assessing their strategic standing. Now, once was appointed ED of an association and part of my onboarding process is to talk with every board member, key stakeholders within the organization. And ironically, not one board member could describe the mission of the organization, which was a huge red flag that I focused on correcting. So when you're doing that kind of um, kind of due diligence and getting that discovery at the beginning and you see something like that occur where the board doesn't even know kind of what you do or the why behind it, um, what are some actionable things you can do when that occurs? Like what, share some advice for a leader that's in a similar case when it comes to dealing with a board and there is a disconnect between how you see what this association is and, and the why behind it. And then this, the board not understanding fully, you know, why they're there really. Yeah, one of the challenges a, a, an executive director or another association leader has is to surface and resolve conflict. There, there, there are always going to be conflicts, even again when people come together with a, with a similar mission. Sometimes the conflicts are, are are personality, which can be really challenging as well. Sometimes they're political, and sometimes they're sort of institutional. Um, but really, to elevate those up in a respectful way, creating a, a, a safe place to have that dialogue. You know, in the case of the organization I was referring to, it was sort of an open secret that people were aware of, but they hadn't, weren't really conscious of, if that makes sense. And no one had come together and, 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 and raised it for a topic of discussion to be addressed. So this, that's something that's really important. You know, those of us who are in the association profession to elevate these issues to the appropriate level, whether they be a committee that might have a, a role or ultimately the, the board that may have a role in, in, in trying to um, right the ship in terms of its direction and address these challenges. Now, when you have an, uh, an event like COVID and that forces change on an organization, sometimes that's a good thing in a way, in the way that um, you're now kind of auditing all of your, the whole operation and you can say, okay, maybe we should get rid of this. This is a legacy uh, process that maybe has outlived its its purpose. Have you found that to be the case in your group where there are some things that just because we've done this in the past, it, it doesn't make as much sense moving forward in the world the way that it is today? As we go into the next phase of COVID, it's critical for organizations to reassess. 
there, there, there really can't, they can't be any sacred cows to your point. There, there are programs that probably have outlived their purpose uh, and need to be sunset. And that's a challenge because often, you know, culturally organizations, members get accustomed to certain programs, but they may not provide the value. They might not um, have the level of use um, they, or they may not, they may have revenue challenges. And so that's critical as we move forward to assess changes um, and, and, and be willing to innovate. Sometimes innovation can be um, minor. You know, there could be, might be minor adjustments to a program or developing a new program that might be very, very similar to something old. And in some cases, innovation can be really um, transformational, something that brings about a major change or a major new initiative. Both are valid and both can have significant impact for the organization. Now, when you're going about uh, implementing some of this change, uh, is there kind of a go-to methodology you use to implement this thing? Or is it more of collaboration, getting consensus, and then incrementally moving forward? Or is it sometimes just ripping the Band-Aid off and saying, hey, we got to go this way. It's time we were zigging and now we got to zag. It really depends on the organization, its culture, its situation, you know, the insights I, I can bring. Uh, and, and it's also a matter of, of, of sharing a, a vision that others can be, get behind. That's part of the challenge, part of the challenge, those of us who are leaders in, in, in terms of getting that support. If you're trotting up the mountain and no one's following you, you're not really a leader. So that's critical is to make sure that you don't leave people behind. And sometimes it takes time just to bring them on board to make sure that they understand the vision and that they can support it. And sometimes that vision, you know, we might be so sold on ourselves, but it might not resonate with others and we need to adjust it. So we've got to be really flexible in order to um, really fulfill that promise of leadership. So what are you most looking forward to as we move hopefully out of this pandemic and uh, move forward into this new normal? Well, I, I guess a new normal life for all of us. You know, this is a challenge. You know, the, the, the COVID has forced us all to reassess our lives, reassess, reassess our work-life balance. I can, I can attest for how it's been for me working from home. My schedule expanded. I mean, again, it's a crisis situation, which always requires more attention, more time. But working from home, I, you know, when I did, you know, my schedule didn't shorten. I'm looking for, to create some balance as well. You know, we were all have heard about the great resignation. So that's a challenge for organizations, but whether they be associations or companies or other entities out there trying to, to find and retain staff. Uh, and, 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 and that's a challenge, too, as we move forward, just making sure we provide a work environment that uh, is uh, fosters staff and, and provides what they need in terms of expectations and, and just general sort of personal needs to, to feel comfortable working in a place and feel uh, comfortable serving an organization. That's where the mission and vision, though, for associations can be so critical because it can provide that reason, that raison d'etre that people want to get about behind, including staff. Yeah, there has to be a why uh, that everybody kind of buys in or else it's going to be very difficult. Um, if people don't believe in the why, that's a challenge for any group, whether it's an association, a traditional business or whatever. Absolutely right. Now, uh, for you, have you had any mentors or any, um, whether they're 
um, you know, personal or maybe a book you read or, or some resource that you go to for uh, leadership advice or for, um, you know, kind of your philosophy in this? I've had, you know, mentors in, in my role, you know, earlier on with, with, when I was with the Pet Food Institute, there were, there were a couple of, of senior members of the team who I, who mentored me and or were really, uh, I found to be really helpful in terms of providing advice. And, you know, I've tried to model myself after their behavior to a certain degree that in one case, there was a, a former executive director of PFI who really was a master in terms of, of that uh, consensus building and, 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 and empathy and, and sort of and bringing people along with him, making people feel uh, included. So that's something I've striven to uh, achieve and, and follow my practice. The, a few years ago, also, I had an opportunity to participate in a, a leadership program um, that really exposed me to a, a lot of um, leadership uh, concepts. And this was not uh, a, a program that was over a weekend. It was over about six months, and there were um, a dozen books that were I had to read for the course. Uh, and I took a lot out of that program. And you know, I still have these books that I refer to periodically. So it's a wide range of them. Um, you know, some and these aren't you know basic management sort of books. You know, some of them focus on, you know, challenges of leadership around, uh, you know, consensus building or around, um, uh, you know, management structure around um, honesty. Some of them, you know, focus on mistakes, learning from mistakes, you know, using case studies. Uh, So, you know, I I think, you know, what I try to follow is to always continue learning and always continue improving, practicing continuous improvement. Uh, if we can do that, I think we can all continue to grow and get better. So what do you need more of? Um, what right now would help you kind of do your job and to help your uh, community? It has some staff transitions. Uh, you know, the organizations I serve aren't immune to the, the great uh, resignation. Uh, and so I've got, you know, new teams on. We're all getting up on board. Uh, learning with one another. I think once we get through that process of, of really getting acclimated and integrated, I, you know, we're well positioned to really um, move forward with a lot of success. So I'll be uh, happy once we're through that process. It's that, you know, it takes some time too, just for people to get acclimated. Now, any advice for a young person that hasn't considered going into association work that maybe that wasn't on their radar when they were, um, you know, going through school? Is there anything you would share with them about uh, the reason to uh, explore this as a profession and career? There's such a, a tremendous variety of organizations out there that uh, that they can you know, find an organization that matches their areas of interest and their values and they can also gain so much professional knowledge that that they can carry for other organizations that they may serve, whether they're for-profit or non-profit. And so you know, that's why I would encourage them. Really look at the opportunities because they'll be challenged. They will grow. They will learn. They'll expand their knowledge. And again, they may also uh, end up working for an organization that they really connect with on a personal level, which can be so rewarding as well. Now, if somebody wants to learn more uh, about DC Dental Society or get a hold of you through that, is there a website? It is. It's dcdental.org. Well, uh, 
Thank you so much, Kurt, for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you. Lee, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. You have a great day. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio. 